a Bible nearby, I'd encourage you to turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 23. And we have just a couple of words from Jesus on the cross that we're going to be sharing together. Um, I believe it's verses 33 and 34 where Jesus is on the cross. And we're just going to be looking this morning, as you saw the front of your bulletin, the idea of the cross and forgiveness and how even after Easter and the resurrection, there is still so much that the Lord might want to do in our lives as we listen to the word this morning. So just a couple of verses to remind us of the setting and the words of Christ. And then more really of a meditation this morning. We're going to have a time for open worship together after our um, devotional, in a sense, meditation, just to allow the Lord to have room in our heart and our life. So when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, as a prayer, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Lord, this morning I pray for our own hearts. It's easy to be critical of those around the cross because we know for a fact that it was the Lord of heaven and earth who they killed on that cross. But for many around, at least before Jesus died and some of the signs and wonders happened, they they didn't know. They were angry. They were taken away with their own problems and they missed it. Lord, it's really easy for us to be self-righteous in light of what they did. But the fact of the matter is that Jesus prayed for everyone on the cross. Because many times we don't know what we're doing. We don't know what we're thinking. We don't know what we're saying. We don't know why we're doing things the way we're doing them. And yet Jesus' prayer still remains. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And I just pray, Lord, this morning that in our life, we would know forgiveness. Forgiveness of our sins, that our hearts could be clean and free and at peace before you. And then in our personal relationships, Lord, that we would be a forgiving people and that we would experience forgiveness given to us by others. But Lord, it all began here at the cross, and we pray that as we have a few moments together to think about all that Jesus was saying to us, all that was happening around this moment, that Lord, you would continue to draw us closer to your heart, and if, Lord, there's a place in us that is not forgiven, if there's something that we haven't confessed to you, Lord, may we come to that place of realization and be honest before you. Or Lord, if we brought into our heart this morning bitterness, anger, or resentment against the people around us in our own life, even in the church, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to let go of that and to hold on to the love that God alone gives. So we thank you, Lord, for being the example, for paving the way, for ushering this prayer. That is the invitation for everyone who reads it afterwards to have all of you and to have peace in their heart and in their relationships. I want to thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you here this morning are familiar with the story of Corey Tim Boom. It always serves as a reminder to me whenever I read her story about the kind of forgiveness that really sometimes is asked of us and the kind of pain that we have in our own life and own experiences. You know that she was one who helped house the Jewish people 
Um, during the Holocaust, she, they would be snuck into her home, and they would, uh, for two years, she was able to keep this up, and she was able to provide safety and safekeeping for those that were brought into her care until after a couple of years, an informant finally turned her in, and her family was taken away to a concentration camp. Her sister, Betsy, um, succumbed to just brutal punishment and torture, and Corey saw it with her own eyes. But before her sister died, Betsy said to Corey this amazing sentence. She said, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And I love the message of that phrase from her dying sister, is it does not matter how deep in the middle of pain you are, God's love can go even deeper than any pain that you would ever feel. Released on Christmas Day in 1944, Corey was called by the Lord to share her story of forgiveness and joy and peace and overcoming heartache around the world. One day she was speaking in a church in Munich, and after the service, a former SS officer came up to her and bowing low said, Fraulein, thank you for this amazing message. It was so good for me to hear that my heart can be at peace. And as Jesus said, my sins can be washed away. And he thrust out his hand to shake her in thanks. And Corey said, my hand was frozen at my side. I, who had preached so often to these people about the need for forgiveness, could not move my hand from my side. She wrote, even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? This man who was the first guard that she had remembered meeting after her torture. He was one of the guards that watched and helped her sister die. And so she prayed to the Lord and she said, Lord, forgive me and help me to forgive this man. And I tried to smile at him. I tried to bring something out. But I couldn't even raise my hand. I couldn't. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity towards this person. And so again, I breathed the silent prayer. Jesus, I prayed, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And I took his hand. And as I did so, she wrote, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. Well, into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that has almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command the love itself. Is there a more difficult thing that Jesus tells us to do? Is there a more difficult thing to do than forgive those who have wronged us. Among the most powerful words I've ever read in the English language, her story and her path and the journey that God has led her through. But the reality is that all of us have a journey, don't we? And we're all being led along by a path that God has alone deigned to lead us through. And we can be like the trees in a forest. You know, some of those trees were just planted. And if you were to cut them, they might have a half of a ring. There may not even be a ring formed, just one. But, but we were privileged to go on our winter break a few weeks ago to uh, the Redwood Forest in California. If you've ever been there, uh, they have trees that are this big around, 
I think there is one tree that if we all put our arms together, we could probably get our arms around it. And if you were to cut into the trunk of those trees and, and topple them over, and you would see the dozens and hundreds and, and, and for some of them a thousand rings, and each of those rings represents a year of their life. But on some of those trees that I've seen and some of the stumps that I've seen, there's scars. There's places on the tree where it's blurred. And what the forest ranger will tell you is that a lot of times there's been a forest fire rage through that, through that part of the forest. And during its growth, during its development, that fire came and it, it scarred part of that tree. And then unless it totally destroyed it, it continued to live, it continued to exist, and it continued to grow, and it just grew around those scars. It grew around those damaged places, and it continues to grow. But there's nothing that you can do to that tree to take away the evidence of the damage that that fire caused. All we can see is that as God has caused something to grow, it continues to develop, and it continues to grow as the tree grows older. And I've never thought of a church sanctuary as a group of trees or a forest. But in the figurative sense, we all are a part of that. We all are part of God's family. We all have a story as a part of our life. And if we were honest with ourselves and with God, we have places where the fire raged, don't we? We have scars in our life. Could be some force of nature. Could have been an accident. Could have been a tragedy. It could have been that somebody was working against us. It could have been that we were damaged by a relationship that we had in our life. The fact of the matter is that every tree, no matter how tall or how small, has scars. And the cross is a reminder to us that as we look at those scars or we nurse those scars or we remember those scars, that God is a God of healing, amen? God is a God of redemption. And he does not send the forest fire or allow the fire to rage to torture us, but to cause us to grow closer in our relationship and our commitment to him. And it's with that thought in mind that I just wanted to share a few thoughts together about the, about the cross and why, why did Jesus pray this prayer? It was the first, you know, you've all heard sermons, sermon here, a series of sermons on the words from the cross, right? And the first words that Jesus utters in that seven is this prayer of forgiveness. And it was a prayer. He prays to his Father in heaven, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And why would Jesus pray this prayer? Why would he pray this prayer? Sorry, I lost my sound person back there, so I'm, I'm doing it on my own. And the first reason that Jesus would do this is because it was important, right? Jesus doesn't say something as, he's, as his dying words if there's not some kind of significance to it, if there's not some deeper meaning than just saying something to be heard saying it. Have you ever been around the bedside of someone who is dying? Most of us have been there, and, and every experience is different. Every person is different. Every body's different. Every journey is different. And we've been around some who it was, it was torture to watch every moment. It was painful because of your deep abiding love for that person that God gave you the strength to be there in those moments. And you'll never forget them as long as you live. For others, it was quiet and peaceful. And it was one of the most serene experiences that you've ever had to watch someone just in one moment be breathing in this life and the next being breathing in the other life. And the fact of the matter is that as we get to this point in the story of Jesus, he's in his dying moments. 
And it's a miracle that at this point he can even speak at all. If you know anything about how someone dies in crucifixion, the, the, the most horrible part about it is that you can't breathe. You don't die from a loss of blood. You normally don't die from injuries given by the soldiers. You die from asphyxiation because you have to push up on your feet and pull with your hands just to take a breath. And so Jesus was just enough for him to be able to speak at all. And in those dying moments, his last words to us, the first thing that he says was to his father, and he says, Father, I want you to forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. I love, first of all, the intimacy of what Jesus is saying. He's talking to his father. If you know the original language, he's saying, Daddy, Papa, Father, I want you, as you look upon me from this moment, to offer all of these people forgiveness. Now, there's a lot of different people that Jesus was thinking about in this moment of importance. First of all, I think it was probably for the executioners, right? They were the closest to him. They were the most involved that was going on. Uh, In many ways, they might be the ones who had the most scars from what was going on because they were the ones who participated in the actual crucifixion. Now, for many of them, it was already kind of old hat. I mean, they had been doing this for weeks and months, maybe even years, and they were callous to it all. But it even said after Jesus died that one of the soldiers, or the leaders of the soldiers, said, truly, remember, truly this was the Son of God, and he would never forget what he saw in that place. And Jesus wanted the soldiers to know that even though they were the ones who actually physically caused the execution to happen, actually made the crucifixion take place, God could forgive them. It doesn't matter how terrible an action we've been a part of, God is willing to forgive us. I remember my pastor that I was saved under told me a story. Maybe I've shared this before. I think it was his second year of being a pastor, so he was still pretty green and hadn't had a lot of experience yet. But there was a man who was related to someone in his church, and this man had, had murdered someone. And he was in jail. I believe it was in Grand, somewhere in eastern Oregon. And... Um, He said, there's been some change in the court documents and they're letting me go home. I don't know how much of a sentence he had left. That was never part of the story. He said, but I need to talk to you as soon as I get into town. Now, this man had a rap sheet a mile long and you want, you know, he had a murderer wanting to come and meet him in the middle of the night. (laughs) Uh, And he went. And do you know what the man wanted to know? Could God forgive me? I'm guilty. He's like, Pastor, all the evidence was true. The jury made the right decision. I committed that crime. And now I've got to try to learn to live with myself. And is God able to forgive something so heinous and so dark and so dangerous? And in that dark church basement, Pastor Mark was able to talk with that man about God's love and God's forgiveness. And in that place and in that moment, that man accepted Christ as his Savior. And his life was never the same because God placed tremendous importance on the forgiveness that Jesus obtained for us on the cross. When Jesus prays about something, especially in his dying moment, you know there's tremendous importance to be placed upon it. So the soldiers involved in the crucifixion, what about the family? I don't really know all that they were to be forgiven for in in the events of the moment, but the Bible says everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short And Jesus knew that in their life and in their future, they would need his grace and mercy and forgiveness. And so he prayed for his family. What about those disciples? 
We've been talking a lot about the disciples, and we talked about Peter last Sunday and how his journey was one of, of difficulty and, and struggle, and yet after Jesus rose from the dead, who was the first disciple that he talked to? It was Peter. The first disciple that he spoke to was this man who in many ways said, other than Judas, who was already gone, so they really couldn't have a one-to-one conversation anymore, the one who had, who had stepped in at the most and then fallen the furthest, Jesus went to first and said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And I have a purpose and a plan for you because of how much I love you and how important you are in my life. There's nothing more important for us this morning than to know that our sins are under the blood of Jesus. To have our hearts pure and clean and free before the Lord is the greatest joy and is the greatest gift that could ever be given to a human heart or a human soul. And my prayer for each of us is that we know that in our own heart and life, that we are free, and we are free indeed because of the Lord and what he did on the cross for us. So he prayed because of our tremendous importance. He prayed because of a great need. He prayed before because of a great need. I can remember growing up, my, my parents were in church kind of here and there. I grew up, and my mom didn't really go to church after, I, at least from the time I can remember. And my dad would go to church you know, every other week or something like that. And, and so I, I knew about God's love, and I knew that I, I committed sin, and I knew I needed the Lord, but I didn't really care. I wanted to live my life. I wanted to do my own thing and be my own person and make my own decisions. And then, and then that provenient grace that we learn about in theology class starts working in life. And there, I don't really remember the moment. I don't remember the day or the, even the year that it happened. All I know is that I look back and all of a sudden I be, began to become tender to the voice of God. It doesn't mean that the first time I opened my Bible, everything came flooding in and I gave my heart to Jesus right there. It took months for me and for the Lord to get me to that place. But all I remember is this awakening that began to have in my heart and my life that I wasn't where I needed to be and I wasn't who I needed to be. And if you'd have asked me to explain it to you at that moment, there'd been no way I could have even come close. All I knew is that I wasn't at peace. And I would go to bed at night. I wasn't afraid. I just was unsettled. I wasn't, I wasn't satisfied with my decisions. I wasn't aware of any direction from my life that I wanted to go. And I knew that I was making bad decisions and wrong choices. And I needed someone stronger than myself to help me make those decisions and make those choices. And so as I walked with the Lord and as I talked with him, I became a, a, a progressively growing alertness to the fact that I was a sinner. And my heart wasn't right with the Lord. And I remember that Easter Sunday morning when I sang with the church cantata, not as a part of the people up here singing. I wasn't, you know me enough to know I wasn't up here. (laughs) I would have never been allowed up here to sing. I was singing with you as the congregation. The words to that song, it is well with my soul as the closing song of that service. And something broke in me in that moment as I realized that I had a great need in my heart and my life. And Jesus was the answer to that need. 
And the only way for me to enter into the Father's family was to confess my sins and admit those before him. And in that moment, as I stood and we sang together, it is well with my soul, peace came in. And I let go of the cross of my own sin and shame. There's a story I read this week of an actor who I've never heard of. He went to watch a play in California, a story of the passion of the Christ. Not the one we saw on on the movie, but a remake of the final hours and days of Christ. Being a fan of pictures and commercials, he asked the, the director of the play after it was over if he could go and get a picture with the actor who portrayed Jesus and, you know, just wanted to get one of those VIP passes to access all the actors and really enjoyed taking pictures with them. And then he saw the cross. He's like, oh, man, it was great for me to get a picture. Can you take my picture of carrying the cross? And the actor's like, okay, uh, sure. And so the the man who is attending the play went over there and, and he gets, gets down there and, you know, he's saying it's probably hollow, right? You know, made of cardboard, painted to look like a real thing. And he gets under there and, and he's like, oh, he can't move it. And, and, he, and he struggles and he struggles and he struggles to get this cross to move and it, and it won't budge. It will not budge. It won't even move an inch. And he went, you know, sweat pouring down his face. He went back to the actor and he said, why would you make this cross so heavy? Why should it be so heavy? Why such a heavy burden? And the actor responded to him, if I could not feel the weight of it, it would be impossible to play the part. It wouldn't be real, what Jesus was doing. And it wasn't until I felt the weight of my own sin and shame that I feel the weight of what Jesus did on the cross for me and realize the great need that I had on my own heart and in my own life. So what do we do? First of all, we have to be able to be willing to confess our own sin, be willing to make everything right with the Lord, but it also comes a part of the people around us. Everything's going wacky on me now. We have to be willing to forgive others who wronged us. Anybody ever made you upset? Don't say when the pastor preaches too long. That's not what we're talking about. (laughs) Anyone ever hurt your feelings? Stepped on your toes? And they may have done it intentionally. They may not have been knowing they were doing it. And I'd have to say in my life, I'm embarrassed to say that the times that I've been sometimes the most frustrated with someone, they didn't even know they'd done anything to me. That's embarrassing for me to say, but it's true. I may have been tired or exhausted or overwhelmed by something, and and out of nowhere I hear these phrases or this thing happens to me, and they have no idea that they've offended me, no idea that there's been hurt. And the devil just runs away with it and, and goes crazy. And we go crazy because we can't handle that in our own heart and in our own life. But I think that as Jesus prayed for God to forgive all of us, he also is praying for us that we would be able to share that forgiveness with the people in the world around us. It seems, though, that the pain that we have in our life is like this hound that never keeps, never, get, never rests. 
this bitterness, this pain, this anger that festers in us and we can't let it go and we can't get rid of it. And there just seems to be no separation from our daily life and the pain that we feel from this person or this event. I was reading this week about 14th century Scotland. And I've been to Scotland, so um, had special meaning to me to see some of these places. But Robert Bruce was leading Scotland and his men in battle to gain independence from England. And near the end of the conflict, they wanted to capture Bruce to keep him from taking the Scottish crown. Um, so if my story I read serves me right, they got his own bloodhounds to chase him down. I mean, they know who has sent and they would want to find him, you would think, more than anything or anyone else. And when Bruce and his men heard the dog's baying, they recognized the tones of their bark and the attendant turned to Robert Bruce and said, it's over, man. We're done for. We're had. We're doomed. They're on your trail and they will definitely find you. But Bruce turned to him and said, it's going to be all right. And they headed for a stream that flowed through the forest. And they plunged in and waded up to their chests in the cold running water. Waded upstream for a while and came out on the other side plunging into the depths of the forest. And minutes later, the hounds were right behind them, coming to the edge of the bank where their master had entered into the water. But they would go no further. The soldiers urged them on, but the trail was broken. The stream had carried the scent away. And a short time later, Robert Bruce was crowned the king of Scotland. And the memory of our sins prodded on by the evil one can be like those baying dogs, We cannot escape them. We cannot get away from them. And for months, that was my experience. I could not get away. I could not escape them. Maybe it is what's been done to you. We cannot escape it, no matter how far we run or where we hide. But the cross is a reminder that a stream flows, red with the blood of God's own Son, and that by His grace through faith, we are safe. And there is no sin that can touch us. There is no stain in this world that can hinder us if we plunge into the cooling waters of the blood of Christ. The trail is broken by the blood of Jesus. And so a pastor years ago remarked, the purpose of the cross is to repair the irreparable. And before we have just a few moments of quiet worship, open worship before the Lord, I wanted to read you this short story. A marriage counselor posted this years ago. A couple been married for 15 years, and they just couldn't break free. They were, they were discouraged. They weren't intimate. They weren't in love. They were just existing. And so they decided to, to do this. They decided instead of always fighting, every time someone had an issue, it was just another argument that led them deeper away from each other. Instead of verbalizing all of this, they would make a complaint box. And so the, the wife for a month would, every time she had a complaint about her husband, instead of you know, spouting it off verbally, she would write her complaint in, in his box. They didn't tell me how box, big the box was. It just was a box. And for the, the man, he was going to do the same thing. He had his complaint box for his wife. And every time that she had something that bothered him or annoyed him, he was supposed to write it down in that box. And after a month, they would open them up and then try to work through them together. And so they opened up the, the, the wife's box first, uh, as the story goes. And, you know, he left the lid up seven times in a month 
on the toilet. And he um, didn't put his lid on his toothpaste, you know, near enough times. And he forgot to take out the garbage. And, and I mean, it was just, you know, thing after thing after thing that, that had bothered her. And he, he was failing in all of these things. So they talked about that for a few minutes. And he realized that he still had a lot of work to do. And uh, so she opened his box. And I think that we could turn this story around and make it go with either spouse. It's not a, an issue of, of gender in this matter. It's just what the husband chose to do. Every time he wrote a note, he wrote the words, I love you. And every piece of paper that that wife pulled out of that box was not with something that she had done wrong or something that she had messed up, but as a reminder of how much her husband loved her. And it changed her heart, and it changed their marriage, and it changed the path and the journey as they went on to fall more madly in love than they ever had been before. And I feel like for you and I, we live in an age of complaining. This is going wrong, and this isn't right, and this person is saying this, and these events are happening, and this circumstance is going on in my life, and we could just go on and on about the ways in which we suffer, and we do. We live in a broken, fallen world, and the fact of the matter is we're going to have these situations. And we're going to, frankly, have people that annoy us. Can I just break that to you right now? (laughs) There are going to be some people in your life that you cannot run from, even if you tried. God maybe has placed them as a thorn in the flesh, like Paul, I don't know. All the matter is, is that that trunk of your tree may be being scarred, but God wants to continue to help you to grow as you journey with him together. But it's so easy for you and I to just, you know, to get out our list. You know, we've got our pen and paper, and we're making a list of, the, 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 you know, you didn't put the toilet seat down. You know, you didn't make the phone call that you were supposed to. You're not, you promised me you'd do this. You, you said that this was going to happen, and, and you said these things to me, and you didn't do these things for me. And we are, I mean, you just, I mean, look at the news. It's everything that's going wrong. We're trained in our culture and our society to focus on the negative. And I just wonder that in our world today, that if we didn't start sending I love you notes like that husband did for his wife, like Jesus did for us on the cross, we're so easily able to spit venom and complaints and vitriol when the Lord himself, even in his dying moments, could only think of how much he loved us could only think about how much he was willing to give everything that he had so that we could have peace in our own heart and our own life. And to what length is God calling us to provide peace for those around us, to give an atmosphere in our home and in our conversations, and even in our, even, okay, let's go this far. The one person that you thought of when I said a thorn in the flesh, the one person that you thought of when I said you're never going to escape them, maybe God is calling us to approach that very differently than we ever have before. Maybe it's no longer, how can I avoid them and stay away from them? Maybe it is from now on, how is God calling me to send them an I love you note? How is God calling me to come alongside them? Maybe the forest fire is hotter in their life than it is in mine. And God is calling me to look at this totally different than I ever have before. I'll close with this story and then we're just gonna have a few moments of silent worship. Another story I heard from the counselor, husband and wife were ready to get a divorce. She was done, he was done, it was over. But it was going to be a matter of weeks or maybe a couple of months 
before everything would be finalized. And because of that financial situation, they were stuck living in the same house together for up to two months. The lady talked to her counselor alone and just unwilling to let go of her hate. And, and, and the counselor said, so what are you gonna do? You're, you're living together. She said, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pretend for a month that I love him. I'm gonna be kind to him. I'm gonna make him meals. I'm gonna do everything that I can to, 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 you know, to kind of lead him on. And then when the, when the moment comes, I'm just going to rip it out from under him, and that will hurt him more than anything had ever hurt someone in their life. And so it's like, wow, that's pretty intense. And the lady went home, and for a month, she pretended to love her husband. She cooked for him. She cleaned up. She didn't complain about any of it. She told him that she loved him. And after a month, the counseling session was scheduled, and they came in hand in hand, arm in arm, glowing, and the counselor said, what happened? And the lady said, well, I did what I told you I was going to do. I pretended to show him that I love him, but I found the matter is that I did love him. And the more that I showed that love, the more I fell in love with him, and the more he fell in love with me. And sometimes, you know, we want a lightning bolt just to strike us and fill us with love in that moment and just change us forever. And many times it is a piece of paper by piece of paper, by piece of paper, when they fail us, when they hurt us, when they let us down, or when life lets us down. It is not continuing to add to the list of our complaints, but continuing to allow the Spirit to add love to our own heart and into our own life. So I just want us to take a few minutes this morning together just to, just to listen to God. Don't be any music. There won't be any noise unless you cough or something in the middle of this or another cell phone goes off. Uh, we'll hopefully not have that. But just to listen to the Lord. And Lord, is first of all, anything between you and me? Anything between you and me that, that we need to make right? And then Lord, is there someone who I've been throwing the complaint letters at? I've just been, you know, everything they could do wrong, I am all over them. Lord, is there someone in my life you might start me to write those letters of love to? Thanking them for their life and for their, for their testimony. Thanking them for being a part of my life. Who might God place on your heart and mind? I have three people he's given me in the last 20 seconds. <laughs> One person I haven't talked to in... 13 years, and it's not because there's bitterness there. It just, life changed, and, and I haven't reached out to them. And God just said, all right, preacher, <laughs> how about it? How about you? As we have a few moments together, who might God place on your heart as we just listen to his voice for a few minutes together?